4 o'clock football frenzy. Hey, hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Four o'clock hours here. JBT, John Von Tobel, Cofield, Ari. Busy, busy day. Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talks coming up. We got a lot of football news, including local news with the Raiders with a uh, another signing to the defensive backfield. Man, the competition before the season is going to be freaking intense. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Casey Hayward in less than five minutes because we got some big injuries to talk about. Yes, big injuries. Because the NFL is a year-round deal, but yeah, big injuries in freaking May. The Jets injury, I mean, right now doesn't seem as devastating because it's an 8-10 to week injury, so that should have Quinnen Williams, their stud defensive lineman, young guy from Bama. 8-10 to weeks, fractured foot. Should I go Doc Cofield here? No, I will not. Um, But I will say, John, when's the last time you broke a bone? Oh, like junior high. It's been a while. Yeah. And it sucks, right? Yeah, 100%. Well, it, yeah, obviously the pain sucks, but the recovery is even more irritating. Yep. Um, I have never broken a bone in my life. Hmm. Very athletic, very balanced, very coordinated. Playing high-risk sports like bowling. Never tore a labrum. But seriously, never, never broke a bone playing baseball, basketball, anything. Uh, Very lucky. Uh, You know, the SO snapped her ankle like six weeks ago. And when it, when it, uh, when injuries like this come home to roost, you get a little wake up call because I think with with athletes, since we cover, you know, we cover sports, we're on just about every day. We're looking at the stuff seven days a week. Like we see injuries come down, broken bones. We're like, okay, well, eight eight to 10 weeks. And like, you don't even think about the recovery process. I, I bet you most of us haven't really processed what, say Tiger Woods is going through right now, which is going to be a massively long recovery period. So anyway, long story short, uh, yeah, she snapped her ankle. So she's just getting out of the walking boot and into a brace. And then there's a scooter. And uh, she's, she's pretty much gotten rid of the scooter. I will, I will tell you what though, she's a freaking warrior because they said, don't go back to work until you're at the six week mark. She went back five weeks in and she's got a stand all day. Wow. She's a, she's one tough cookie. So I assume Quinn Williams is a tough cookie as well, but you know, foot injuries are freaking scary in sports, especially when you, when you're talking about dudes who are three, 310, 315 pounds. Uh, you just hope this is something that he recovers from quickly, 100% and he's good to go moving forward. So uh, injury to the uh, jets, young linemen who are, they're uh, trying to finally build up a defense around the dude. <laughs> Not so great news on the injury for Jawan James. He's the right tackle. He was going to be the right tackle, John, a year ago for the Broncos, but he opted out. Achilles. Right now they're saying, according to Schefter, out for the season. Oh, what a suck-ass injury. Well, for him, it sucks in general. He wasn't working at the Broncos facility. By the way, Quinnen Williams was on field working with the Jets. So that's a whole complicated deal with the NFLPA. 
But for the Broncos, right after the draft, right after you just collected a bunch of players, now you find out your freaking starting right tackle is down. What a kick in the teeth. Uh, and by the way, not only that, but when you had your first round selection, you took Patrick Sertan, which is a really good corner and helped you out. Some thought that Rashawn Slater was arguably better than Panay Sewell, and he was sitting right there, and you could have taken him to add to your offensive line. And instead, to add insult to injury, he's now with your division rival, the Los Angeles Chargers, who have a quarterback that I believe would be pretty good, and now with a very much improved offensive line. Man, what a bad break. But uh, that said, the Broncos should have drafted more offensive line in this mm -hmm. last draft. And, you know, if it wasn't with the top pick, they should have been getting some more backups uh, throughout the draft. So. Rough one there. Not good for the Broncos, who I think a lot of people thought it just, uh, you know, an inch ahead of the Raiders in the pecking order in the division. Both, as of uh, late last week, were seven and a half on the over and a win total, and now a 17 game season. Uh, some win totals already posted around the country. Seven and a half for both the Broncos and the Raiders. Interesting news out of Ravensland. So there's been this pushback, John, on. The critique of Alex Leatherwood, that selection, not the kid himself, but the selection at 17. Jim Nagy, who works the Senior Bowl, said that he knows for a fact that there were a couple of teams after the Raiders in the first round who were going to take Leatherwood. All right. All right. He, you know, he's a pretty good source. You know, I was listening to him over the weekend on uh, ESPN National. Uh, he knows his stuff. Does this seem weird to you that the Ravens may have been one of the teams – so the Ravens chose once – if they were going to take Leatherwood, once Leatherwood was gone, they chose not to go with the position, and then two days later they signed the former Steeler, Villanueva? Doesn't it sound like that was the plan all along, that they were going to sign Villanueva? The talk has been going yeah. on for two weeks. So they would have taken Leatherwood too? I don't think so. It doesn't really make much sense. And like, it, well, and I honestly think like the addition of Illinois, it's very smart. Like, I thought a couple of teams were going to go this route, which was don't really address the offensive line, you know, potential issues that they have, and go get Villanueva, who's a highly graded and highly regarded offensive tackle who's still out there. I thought the Colts, I thought the Colts were going to do that, right? They didn't really address that position at left tackle, and that Villanueva was going to be the guy to go do it. But in terms of those teams desiring Leatherwood, that doesn't really make much sense that the one guy that was potentially on your board isn't there, so you just skip on the position entirely. They, had, they, they got they got a second first-round pick. They right. had two first-round picks and still didn't draft an offensive lineman. Yep. But they were going to take Leatherwood. Eh, maybe. Maybe he was way ahead of everyone else on their offensive line board and their general board. Interesting. Or I mean, Look, it's like a game of telephone, right? You know, maybe the message get, gets misconstrued when you hear it from sources. Maybe they were going to take Leatherwood, but they were going to take him later if he was still there. Should the Raiders have been in on Villanueva? He's getting eight mil guaranteed, so I'm not sure right now that the Raiders, without doing some more wrangling, and they believe me, they've got some wrangling to do. They can they can still cut some guys to free up some money. Should the, should that have been the Raiders' plan? Yeah, to to make a run and have him be their right tackle for a couple of years. It should have been their plan. It should have been the Colts' plan. It should have been the Ravens' plan, which it was. Any of these teams that had an issue along the offensive line but didn't want to spend draft capital on it, Villanueva had been out there, obviously. he's He's been out there. He's you know a really solid piece along the offensive line. If you're one piece away, you think, from your offensive line being relatively complete, it should have been everybody's plans. I'm surprised you've been kind of sitting around this long. And it made sense for some teams to not really address the – you know I thought like the Bengals, for example. You can throw that in there, too. The Bengals took a really – 
forward-thinking approach with the way they handled the draft, which was draft weapon, address offensive line later, getting the kid out of Clemson, the Bengals could have done that, right? They had added Riley Reif in the offseason, go get Villanueva as well, and then boom, just like that, your offensive line, which was an issue for you last year, all of a sudden kind of becomes a strength. It just seems to me there are certain teams in the league, when they grab guys, we look at them and they're like, how did how did that just happen? Mm-hmm. Like, How was that allowed to happen? And I think this could be one of those cases where we're going to look during the regular season and the guy's doing a good job for him on the right side and they're running the ball like freaking beast. And it's like, well, everyone else had a shot at the right tackle. I mean, same, same deal as the Ravens trading Orlando Brown. I'm sure lots of teams had a shot at Orlando Brown. And then watch Brown, you know, freaking slot in there and be, you know, their five-year guy left tackle. It just it's, The league is weird, man, where certain teams, they, they always seem to be able to get what they need, and that's why you see them every year win and sit at the back end of the first round and then also do really well in the draft. Miles Simmons is coming up. We'll get into the signing of Casey Hayward by the Raiders. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Rolling on on a Tuesday, let's get into the latest with the Raiders around the National Football League. Looking back at the NFL draft, Miles Simmons works for Pro Football Talk. We know he was on the Raiders beat for a while with the Rams for a long time, the Panthers as well. So he knows it all. What's up, Miles? I'm doing well. What a nice intro this week, man. I I know it all, huh? Well, (laughs) generally we've got Adam Hill here, so it gets a bit sour and there's got to be something smart-assy coming into your spot. So today we figured we'd be nice. It's a rarity. It's a rarity. Uh, John Von Tobel is here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, you can you can feel the the mood. There's a gleam in the show, man. There's a gleam. Uh, it just it feels a, a little bit lighter it, already. Yeah, you're right. Yes, there you <laughs> go. Uh, is there a gleam in the eye of Casey Hayward? Can he actually contribute to the Raiders as he rejoins Gus Bradley, a guy with a lot of experience and a high, uh, a lot of high level play under his belt? Well, that is what we call in the industry a segue, folks. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I think that anytime you have a player who has a lot of experience in a system um, with a coordinator, with a head coach, and then that coordinator goes to a different team and they're trying to implement that new system. And you know that you can bring in a player who's played in that system at a high level. You definitely want to bring that guy in. And so, you know, I know that there's been talk about Richard Sherman and would he be coming and all that. But I think that when you bring in somebody like Casey Hayward, you're almost in a better position because really like it's like this is somebody who has played with Gus Bradley over the last couple of years, as opposed to way before, you know, you're also talking about somebody who has been really healthy for most of his career. Um, and Richard Sherman has had those injury concerns over the last few seasons. So I just feel like this is a really good fit for them right now in terms of maybe bringing along those younger guys, who may not know the system as well. And if you need him to play, he can play. You know, if you want to play him instead of Trayvon Mullen or Damon Arnett, you're not really going to see that much of a drop-off you know, from the sense that, okay, you're playing an older guy instead of a younger guy. So I really like this move uh, for the Raiders. I do. Miles, should there be any worry about his relatively poor season from a PFF grading standpoint last year? 
Sure, yes. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that he's going to come in there and be an all-pro, but I think that, you know, based on what the Raiders' defense has been over the last few years, you want this team to get up to probably average in defense, right? And then they can be a playoff team. You know, and obviously being a playoff team is not the goal. You want to win championships. But considering where this defense has been since John Gruden's been there, it's been really bad, right? especially last year. If they can just get that thing from really bad to average, you know, and I think that having somebody with the experience in the system can help you do that, then, yeah, you're going to be in better shape. But I, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think Case Hayward's going to come in there and it's going to be pro bowler and everything. Like, I, don't, I don't think that, you know, but I think that he can at least help this team get to a much better spot than it otherwise might be. I'm curious what you think in terms of like what we'll see next year from growing pains because I feel like in a system like this with a lot of youth, there could be some extremes like a positive but also negative. That's a good question. I, yeah, some of it I think depends on the off-season program. Like, are guys going to be in there and engaged, and are they going to really learn the system on the field with coaches, or are they going to decide, you know, what we don't need to do that because, you know. We, we, it's voluntary and we don't need to be there. And, and they have the absolute right to do that. And let me be clear on that. Like, I don't begrudge any veteran player or young player for saying, no, I don't want to come to the voluntary offseason program. That's fine. But I think it's a little naive to say that it doesn't have an effect when you start play in September. You know, the NFLPA wants to talk about the game better than ever. I mean, that's defensive coordinators that, man. Like, all that scoring that we saw, which was fun, but it's not really fun if you're a defensive coordinator and you're trying to stop those things. So, having said all of that, if the Raiders can make sure that you know these things are getting implemented well over the course of the offseason and into training camp, then, yes, it, it's going to take probably a little bit of time for everything to gel and for everything to come together just because that's the way of the world. But will it take... The quarter of the season, oh, I guess there is no such thing as a quarter of the season anymore because there's 17 games. But will it take four games or will it take eight to ten games? That's the difference there, you know. If they can really figure this thing out over the course of the offseason and training camp, it might take four. If they can't, then it might take eight to ten. Miles, this has been a crazy day for injuries. So we get the news that Quinnen Williams is down eight to ten weeks, Jets defensive lineman, but the injury happened at the facility. Jawan James, the Broncos' right tackle, down for the season with an Achilles, not at the facility. Uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh is right. I mean, especially for James. And look, James is a guy who opted out of the 2020 season, which, again, has had every right to do. And I, frankly, very much understand it, given all the things that we didn't know about COVID, you know, when those things had to happen in late July and early August. So because of that, his salary um, didn't come through as it usually would, right? So it was basically bumped a year to 2020. So now he's basically kind of out all the salary because he did not get injured at the team facility. And this, I think, is one of these things where when you have the NFLPA saying don't go to the team facility for voluntary workouts, don't work out there. This is the risk that you take because it's not like Juwan James wasn't trying to get himself better for the season. But 
when those things happen and they are not at the team facility, this is the risk you take. You, you are basically saying that, you know, I don't mind if I get hurt away from the team facility because even though it, it counts basically as a non-football injury at that point, which is not fair, really, but it's the truth and it's the way that these things happen. So that's why it is, I think, something that guys really have to make sure they understand if they're going to go work out and they're not going to be at the team facility, which, again, they have the absolute right to do, and many people do it, um, then you have to be really careful. Because if you get hurt, then that can have some severe, severe financial consequences for you, depending on who you are and which contract is. Let's stay on the Broncos. Since we're talking about Juwan James and the position the Broncos are in to actually make a real run at Aaron Rodgers. Let's start on the Green Bay end, though. How bad is this? I mean, we, we heard some Packers experts on ESPN this morning saying it's like a 5% chance of Rodgers coming back. How bad is this, and how much conversation has there been uh, from other teams around the league, uh, you know, trying to text, call, whatever, uh, any kind of message you could send to the Packers to get in on Aaron Rodgers? I I think it's it's one of these things where it's weird because the Packers don't have an owner. And, you know, there are times where it's probably really good that the Packers don't have an owner, but this is one of those times where it's probably bad because that's where you need the person who is the head of the organization, who signs all the checks, who provides all the money to go to Aaron Rodgers and to sit down with him, you know, the Mark Murphy, your CEO, Gutekunst, um, Matt LaFleur, head coach, whoever it needs to be, and figure this thing out because when you have a guy who's a superstar like Aaron Rodgers, it basically makes him the most important person in the organization because there is no team owner. And all other 31 teams, that, that the most important person is the owner. So it's one of these things right now where if these Packers, all the Packers reporters are saying it's like a 5% chance, it's a very low chance, it's this, it's that, that Rodgers plays for the Packers again, I tend to believe it because when you have folks reporting, um, Charles Robinson reported this out of Yahoo, that Aaron Rodgers would like to see Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, lose his job. I don't really know how you come back from that. (laughs) And I I, I just don't because you can't really have your quarterback dictating what the personnel decisions are in the front office. Right. I mean, you can want and let him have a say, and okay, this wide receiver is better than that one. You know, on the OL, you might want to do this or that. But like, if this is the case where he's trying to be involved in these high level things, or he would like to see things happen on that high level, I don't know how you come back from that if you're the general manager and you're the head coach and you're like, man, if this guy wants me fired, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, is with us on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Back to the Raiders. What do you think of the uh, Raiders getting beat up pretty good in the first round after the selection of Alex Leatherwood? I think uh, people have kind of calmed down on that whole thing. But, uh, you know, we we get this every year. The Raiders are going to get who they want to get, and sometimes it's not going to match up with all the mock drafts around the country. Well, right. So I think the, the thing here is the Raiders have kind of lost the benefit of the doubt in saying that, you know, we feel like our evaluations are our evaluations and we don't care what everybody else's evaluations are, you know, and they shouldn't care what the mock drafts say. I want to be clear on that. But, like, if the Raiders keep picking people 
where folks don't think that they should be valued and then they don't turn out to be good, then this is why you're going to continue to get questioned, right? Like Cleveland Furl has not produced at the level that folks would think a number four overall pick should produce at. So, and everybody said at the time that they reached for Cleveland Furl, they said at the time that they reached for somebody like Damon Arnett. Nobody really expected Henry Ruggs to be the first wide receiver off the board last year. And you see the production come, right? And guys like Justin Jefferson, who were picked well after Henry Ruggs, are producing at that higher level. C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, the two guys that everybody seemed to think that the Raiders would be picking between um, at number 13 overall, I think it was last year. Those guys produced way more than Henry Ruggs did. So that's what I'm saying. Like when only when the only first round pick that you can definitively say has worked out in the last two years when uh, they had five of them is Josh Jacobs, then that's why you're going to continue to be questioned when you draft somebody who everybody seems to think should be drafted lower than that. And that's kind of not fair to the pick, right? Because who knows how good Leatherwood is or is not. And I think that he certainly deserves a chance to come in and to start and to be that right tackle. And we'll see if he performs like somebody that they could have otherwise had, like Christian Derrissaw, or if he's not going to produce well. So it, that's why they don't have the benefit of the doubt, because when you have five first-round picks in two years, only one of them has worked out because it seems like you're reaching for other guys. That's why you don't get the benefit of the doubt anymore, and I don't blame people for jumping on the Raiders for that. JVT, you got breaking news on the Raiders roster? Uh, yeah, Tom Pellicero reports Raiders releasing safety Jeff Heath today. So uh, that comes on the heels of what? Drafting two safeties, and so kind of a crowded defensive backfield. Yeah, and then I guess you signed Casey Hayward too. So, you know, it already is. It's starting to get a little bit crowded. And they were saying, I think Mayock was saying after uh, the draft that Morig is somebody that they feel like can probably start, right? So when you've already got um, when you've already got Jonathan Abram, you know they brought back uh, the the 2016 first round pick. His name is escaping me um, right now as well at safety, but they they have safeties, you know. And so Jeff Heath is not somebody that I think that they're going to miss all that that much on that roster. So Miles, I'm curious. I want to ask you this: We talk about Leatherwood and the Raiders' offensive line. So we saw Alejandro Villanueva get a job today. He's going to be with the Baltimore Ravens. How come more teams weren't in on this guy? Like, I thought the Colts should have been more in on him. The Ravens were one of them as two, potentially the Raiders, even though salary cap issues potentially there. Why did it take so long for him to find a team? Well, first of all, the part of it is now uh, the compensatory draft pick formula. So after yesterday, um, guys can be signed to teams now who are still unrestricted free agents, and they don't count in that comp pick formula. So that's why a team like the Ravens waited for so long because they know how to manipulate that formula so well, and they seem to do it really well every year, and they almost always seem to get an extra third or fourth round pick, if not a couple of those picks, um, based on the way they do the formula. So I think that's why Villanueva's market cooled down so much until really after the draft, so that if something were to happen, you know, if a team thought, sees that a pick is falling that they really like as an OL in the draft, and then they pick him, then it's like, all right, well, we don't need a zone wave anymore. So I think that's part of it. Um, but it's a good question. I mean, the Colts have Sam Tevy right now, and he started at left tackle for the Chargers for most of last year. And it seems like they're okay with rolling into the season with him, even though, I mean, he's not somebody who 
I think the majority of the league would say is like the same kind of caliber replacement for a guy like Anthony Costanzo. You know, Costanzo was a really good left tackle. And I think when you're looking at Carson Wentz especially, you want somebody who you can really depend on at that left tackle spot because Wentz was the most sacked QB in the entire league last year. He was sacked 50 times in 12 games, right? Deshaun Watson was second on that list with 49 sacks in 16 games. So I think that tells you a lot about, A, Carson Wentz needing to get rid of the football, but B, how Carson Wentz performs when there's a shoddy uh, pass protection in front of him. So that left tackle spot's really important for the Colts. I think that just right now they may bring in somebody else to compete with Sam Tevy, but from everything that has come out of Indianapolis, it's basically been, look, they didn't feel like they could get the value that they needed in the draft um, for a left tackle, so they are just going to roll with Tevy until something else comes along that might be a little bit better. And we'll see um, if the Bears' left tackle Leno that they just re- uh, released yesterday might be on their list. But, yeah, it, it is going to be interesting to see what the Colts do there. Miles, that was dynamite, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Of course, gentlemen. Talk to you next week. There he is, Miles Simmons. He appears with us from Pro Football Talk every Tuesday. You can see him all the time on uh, Florio's uh, shows all over Peacock. Miles Simmons, we're lucky to have him as one of our NFL insiders on Tuesdays. Let's go the hockey route here. Giveaway time. Chance to win right now. Caller 11. Chance to win a Vegas Golden Knights jersey. And you qualify for tickets to watch one of the final games of the season. Saturday. The 8th, BGK taking on the Blues. It's all courtesy of Finley Volvo. Swedish elegance and world-renowned safety await at Finley Volvo. Visit them at finleyvolvo.com. A chance to win a Vegas Golden Knights jersey right now on Cofield & Company. Caller 11 364-1100. Visit lvsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Who better to talk about food than these two? It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. C'è la luna mezzo mare, mamma mia, me maritate. Piglia mia, cuttature, mamma mia, ta pensatura. I'm sure this is what the guys in the Rat Pack were thinking. You know, we'd love a sports radio show like... 50, 60 years from now to honor us by uh, doing a daily feature called The Fat Pack. The Fat Pack, yeah. John Von Tobel's here. I don't know what that meant from uh, Leon. As you know, No guy's better than these two. Kind of saying you're chubby. Uh, although I think the weight loss is going well for you. Your face looks thinner. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate that. You know, now that I'm vaccinated, I feel brave enough to go to the uh, gym that we have in this apartment complex. So, been hitting the gym, hitting the cardio. Cardio is pretty tough, man. Cardio is tough, especially for a fat guy. Well, it's hard to get up on a Tuesday morning and work out when you've had, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, flashbacks of horror. Yeah. You go to bed last night thinking about Edward's Cup at Starbucks and all your years as a barista at Starbucks and how many people put in orders like that because a bunch of people – rush to the web. I think a lot of baristas are like, hey, look at my Edward in my town. There are hundreds, if not thousands of morons. Special order morons walking into coffee houses and 
giving their order that goes with to the tune of like eight, 10, 12, 14 notes deep. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very thankful that in my time at Starbucks, there was no mobile app because that is where it gets dangerous. Like you had to come in and order it. One of the biggest nightmares I've had was a guy who, you know, he would get like an iced green tea latte with like six shots of espresso, right? Sweet and lows, wants it stirred a certain way. Like those are nightmares. And the ice green tea lattes, it's like powder in milk. So you had to like shake it. Like it was a whole process. It was a nightmare. And the powder was so fine that it would get everywhere. Like it would just a slight breeze of air and it was like whew, this green cloud that would go all over the place the monster so that guy was a nightmare it didn't have anything this bad but you would have like the 185 degree black and white lady who likes it stirred at you know a certain point when the uh, espresso is hitting the syrup black and white's a drink by the way it's not a, a reference to her ethnicity sure, sure. Uh, yeah <laughs> and so like you know extra whip things like that i had a really nice actually race guy i think i've told this one he'd always come in and get his venti soy cappuccinos at 160 degrees, too sweet and low cinnamon at the bottom, stirred the espresso because he liked to pound them while betting the horses. He was actually a pretty good tipper, so that guy good. was dope. But good. If people are going to pay for it, then I guess special order all you want. But you know what happens. Most special order people are also yeah. return it and complain people, and that temperature thing is unbelievable to me. Uh, the whole thing. It, it, was, uh, it was enlightening yesterday as uh, some barista posted a, a cup from Edward. From Edward somewhere. Do we know where that was? Uh, I, I didn't see, so I don't know. But I did. I did like the like the, the pushback of like random Edwards chiming in, being like, "It wasn't me." It was pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> now we talked about you trying to cut some weight, and yet I saw you tweet the other day. Sale at the store on Pop Tarts today got me thinking. Which Pop Tart is the best Pop Tart? You said you're an unfrosted, unfrosted, yeah. unfrosted strawberry guy. Yeah, simplicity, man. That's all you need. Just put it on the four setting on your toaster, throw in a couple unfrosted strawberry pop tarts, bam, you got yourself a thing. Now, it's, by the way, it was three, it was like you had to buy three, but it was like $1.70 for a box. You had to buy three of them. It's a pretty good sale. So we got three boxes of pop tarts in the closet. Well, you know, what happens. Happens. you got you got to be a value player on the pop tarts because if you go to a convenience store, uh, you're paying through the nose. And I see people do it. I see people do it as a snack. My guess is. That with the number of flavors up to about 30, that Ari's answer to what flavor he likes the most with Pop-Tarts is none of them. I think he'd probably be an anti-Pop-Tart guy. You could not be more wrong. However, stipulation as usual, I don't really do Pop-Tarts for like a breakfast food. Uh, exactly. It is a dessert. And so s'mores, oh, really? s'mores is the way to go. Yes. All those other flavors are great, I'm sure, for breakfast, whatever you guys do weirdos but for my dessert i like the s'mores or the chocolate frosted it's good too yeah i think ari's actually right about something for once when it comes to food like generally pop tarts are not like a breakfast food like i've never really understood that it's like a midday snack or or dessert if you get like the chocolate or the s'mores ones i've I've understood that like breakfast actually i gave one of the cherry ones to my kid you know he had his first pop tart this morning i gave it to him and he absolutely, absolutely loved it um, but generally, I would agree with the sentiment that that is not a breakfast meal. Like, I've never really understood it as a breakfast meal. I'm going to disagree with both of you. I actually think it's a lunch uh, because when I used to drive around covering beets, uh, that 44 ounce Mountain Dew that I would either do the Hostess pudding pie with or oh God. what? <laughs> I was just your food. I was, your I was food combinations are. I was a G damn machine. That was a 44 ounce Mountain Dew and. 
the frosted brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts dry, dry in the car. Well, aren't they all dry? Well, I think a lot of people are like, I got to heat it up. They're not just going to oh. sit there and eat it dry. It can well, get a little, it, it can, it can get a little cakey, a little chalky. Yeah. You want, you wash it down with the big bucket of Mountain Dew. That's kind of disgusting. What are you talking about? Mountain Dew and Pop Tarts is gross. I don't need the, the little energy shot. I don't need that. It's a lot of sugar. It is a lot. The soda and the cinnamon brown sugar Pop Tart. Let's do that's, it. Yeah, that's that's really unhealthy. <laughs> it's, it's it's also just like a short form of energy. Like you get like a peak and that's it. And then you're you, you crash afterwards. Oh, if I if I try to do one of those this week, watch what I'm like for the first two hours of the show. It won't be a short burst. I will be bouncing off the freaking walls. Bouncing. Yeah, and then the last two hours will be a nightmare. Yeah, just a complete come down, right? right? Sam Penny out of it just coming up. We'll get to what he did. I'm sure he's going to celebrate, and I have to eat crow when it comes to NFL draft betting. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and company's eye on sports betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, Sam's up, Sam Paniotovich, Nesson, Fox Sports. He's with Cofield and company, and his old pal's back here in Vegas. He left us behind for the the big time in the Northeast. What's up, Sam? I'm working on a story for Fox. You're going to love this. And I didn't tell you about this ahead of time. I'm doing the top ten teams of the last decade by their power ratings. Okay, in the National Football League. Yeah, in the NFL, of course. Yeah. So who do you think the last who do you think the best team last ten years as far as the numbers go? Who do you think of it course, is? Of course it's the Patriots. No, Patriots had a lot of teams that finished first. They finished first in twenty ten, first in fourteen, in sixteen, and seventeen. But the highest rated team they had of all time, believe it or not, was the Kansas City Chiefs after the regular season week seventeen this past season. But I can tell you, they lowered that number by three whole points when the left tackle and the right tackle were both out for the most of the postseason and definitely in the Super Bowl. But when they were at their peak last year, that was the highest-rated team of all time in Vegas. I told you offensive line is important. you got to draft offensive line. Well, I based that that notion for a lot of my bets in the NFL draft, and, boy, I got punched right in my big El Schnazzo. Uh, I think you cleaned up, especially on the Kyle Pitts bet. I didn't lose a bet in the NFL draft. Well, I take that back. I lost a 40-1 to flyer on Pitts to go third overall, which we know when you make a bet at 40-1, to it's probably going to lose. It was a 2.5% chance that it was going to hit. So, um, But, yeah, we, we did really good, and, and this is another market. I mean, JBT, you and I, we all talked about it last week. This is a market that will move drastically. And if you even if you start betting the draft a week before the draft, hitting the right player at the right price from the Thursday before the draft through the next Monday, you can beat lines by five or six dollars. That Pitts prop we talked about. I mean, JVT got plus one forty, I think, under five and a half. I laid one forty. The market closed minus eight hundred in America. Local bookies were putting up you know, minus two thousand. So. If you get the right number a week before the draft, you can make a killing. And I just beat the market on all five guys, but I only beat the market, Steve, because I bet it early and I didn't wait until an hour before the draft. 
Yeah, plus 120 on Pitts, uh, under for me, Sam, under the five and a half, and plus 120 on the first non-quarterback taken. And that was like the second they just got put up, I was like, I'm in. Pitts is the guy. Um, so let me ask you about this. You know, I talked to Derek Stevens like an hour after the draft. He was on the show uh, with myself and Tim Murray on VEASAN, and we talked about uh, how these bookmakers did. One of the things that he complained about, I shouldn't say complain, it's pretty strong, but one of the things he talked about was these middles that were set up for them, not only in the first round, but throughout the draft, one of the best examples, how about Davis Mills opening draft position prop at Circa was 110.5, closed 66.5, and he goes 67th. It's amazing. Kellen Mond, too. Kellen Mond opened 170 in the hook, closed 81.5. Now, that one wasn't a sweat because uh, he went sub-70, I think, too. I think him and Mills went you know, adjacent to each other, actually. But I, I don't think you're going to see a lot more of these markets pop up. I, I know Circa likes to take a bet, and I applaud the effort. But, buddy, these things aren't made with a formula or an algorithm. You know, when, when mm-hmm. these positions are moving from 229.5 on Seth Williams to 136.5, they're going to get beat by Sharps. And it's one thing in a football game, and this is how I try to explain it on Chicken Dinner this week. It's one thing if somebody walks up that's well-respected. They bet $10,000 on a football team plus six. That line might move to 5.5 because there's money in the kitty that balances the books. But if some sharp wants to bet five dimes on a player in the NFL draft at Circa, they're going to move that thing 50 positions. And, and that's the problem they run into when they want to take a bet on something that you really can't scope. There, there's no numbers you plug in. They're just guessing. Yep, and some of these later round picks too. When we're talking about these these draft position props moving, you know, twenty, thirty, you know, forty. I guess we'll call them points or selections. You know, that's where uh, Derek was telling us that's where they're going to lose most of their money is these late round selections and these middles that are going to hit them. So, all right. So as we look forward with a lot of these guys, Sam, uh, NFL rookie player props. Two part question: What are we seeing out there in terms of the odds to win some of these awards, and also what other props are available? And uh, do you approach some of these rookie props yourself early, like right after the draft? I've already looked at a couple, and I've already played a couple. My favorite one is Jalen Waddell receiving yards over. Uh, he, of course, is going to be one of the weapons for Miami now, too, is going to be throwing to Waddell, the former Alabama kids playing together. And, and I, I see that number being you know, maybe 50, 100 yards short. He's going to get the ball in his hands. Um, you know, He's one of those joystick guys, those gadget guys that can make one man miss, and he's gone for 20 or 30 yards. He can also catch the deep ball because he's blazing fast. So I've got him for about 800 yards myself. Uh, that number seven hundred and thirty and a half. I went over. That's a fox bet bet. And then <laughs> this number is so massive. Remember, you get the extra game, but Peyton Manning didn't throw for this many yards in his first full season. Aaron Rodgers didn't do it. Trevor Lawrence passing yards forty one seventy five and a half. So he's got to throw for essentially forty two hundred yards to go over. And I I feel like that number is massive. Any worry that they'll be getting their asses kicked and thus he'll be throwing for a lot of garbage yards? Who's he throwing to? DJ Chark? I, I just I don't know. I don't I don't like their yeah. tight ends. I don't like them down the middle of the field. I don't like their offensive line. It, it, I wouldn't. I'm in no rush to go over. Like I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna like make this a, a mortgage bet. But I just I feel like that number in itself. Like there's no way I'm betting over that number because so many things can go wrong. So I saw you tweet the other day. Uh, obviously, Aaron Rodgers takes all the headlines right before the draft starts. Uh, the Denver Broncos emerge as a candidate to land him. Mark Schlereth reported that the deal was all but done. The deal has yet to be done. So we'll see if the Broncos end up landing him. But I saw you tweet out 
um, that Fox Bet had the Denver Broncos as the odds-on favor to land Rodgers. I think it was on Thursday or Friday. DraftKings has since thrown their hat into the ring. They made the Packers the odds-on favor to retain Rodgers and have his first snap in week one. Are the numbers still same over at Fox Bet with him to land with the Denver Broncos? Yeah, so this, of course, removes the Packers from the equation. That's all it does. That's the difference. So if he stays with the Packers, all these bets get voided and you get your money back. But, yeah, FoxBet is saying Broncos are the favorite if he leaves, minus 150. But I, I took it next level. You know, there were a couple books that put up Rodgers' next team odds. The future number on Denver, holy cow, did you see what it did? It was 70-1 to 1, uh, on Thursday morning, the day of the draft. And then that bombshell came out. Schlereth is uh, saying, you know, Rodgers is coming to Denver it went from 70 to 1 down to like 15 to 1, and they don't even have him yet. Sam, how about this bit of stupid luck? I saw the odds change. You want to know why? Because a month what? ago, I bet the Denver Broncos at 66 to 1 to win the title because I thought they were going to get Deshaun Watson. Wow. So you're in a great <laughs> spot. You're in like an Ed Teach, Mark DeRosa spot now. Like that, that's when he bet on uh, you know Brady to go to Tampa. Well, he bet on Brady to go to Tampa at one book, but then he bet the Buccaneers before they got Brady at 65-1. to 1. Yep. Hey, man, so, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to sell that? Are you going to hedge it? Are you going to ride it? What are you doing? Oh, well, I got to see if he, get, if he gets there. Look, I'm a ride-or-die type of guy, so I'm keeping that bad boy, especially if he gets there. Hedge off of it potentially if, if it gets to a point where it's hedgeable, but I'm, with, I'm in. Let's do it. I will buy one leg of that. Let's say there are eight legs. Say it's an octopus. I just want one leg. I might think about it. Okay. I'll think about it. I'll let you know if I decide. You know what? If he doesn't go, you can have it. How about that? <laughs> uh, for free. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll sell it to you there. All right. So let's do a couple of other things. Uh, really quickly, uh, I was you know, I was looking around, and one of the things that has caught my eye, you know I'm an NBA guy, Circa has one of the very, very few shops that has a two-way market, right? Futures. Odds to win the title, yes, no. Lakers and Nets, pretty cheap for the most part. Nets are really cheap. It's the time to kind of look at betting against them, right? It's not even so much that, you know, uh, continuity, these teams aren't healthy, all this stuff. But, like, from an odds perspective, from the fact that, you know, we haven't seen these teams together, the value's been there this whole time, I'm thinking about playing some nose on the Lakers and the Nets to win this title. What do you think? I'm just worried because I think LeBron, his true price when he's pissed at the league, I think his true price is minus 600 to win the title, honestly. Yeah. Every time this guy complains around this time of the year, you know, he's, he's, he's complaining about this, he's complaining about that, he doesn't have enough help, the play-in tournament is garbage. Every time that happens, he gets all the calls and he ends up in the finals. So I, I get the logic. I know you like the Clippers. I like them too, but... I mean, this guy has been one of the most dominant players in the history of the playoffs. I mean, he's gotten the more finals than, than players combined. Like, we talk about Jordan's rings. LeBron's been in the finals a million times. And it just, I hate fading the guy. I get it from a number standpoint, but usually he gets where he needs to go, especially after he makes it clear how upset he is with something that the NBA does. Sam, you're the best, buddy. Congrats on the big win at the NFL draft. Uh, next time you're out here, I will be out. You need to treat me. All right, I'm also I'm going to put some cash on Justin Herbert to win the MVP at 25 to 1. So write that Ooh. down too. Okay. It's written down. See you, Sam. All right, see you. Damn, Penny out of riding high, making long shot bets. Must be nice. Must be nice winning at the NFL draft. You didn't? No, I no, I didn't. I can review all of my picks in the uh in the grab bag. I I was uh, I was all in on Justin Fields 
um, until the very last moment. And then guess what? They pull all the odds down in Vegas, so I couldn't bet anything back on the day of the draft when the good information was rolling in. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.